I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. Well, hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I hope everyone had a fabulous weekend, and I'm super excited about today's episode. We all know I am obsessed with all things health and wellness. I love trying new foods, and it's kind of funny because I found this guest through one of my mutual friends. Shout out, Nikki. She came up to me at work and was like, you have to interview this girl. She has the best dip. And she would be great for your podcast. So I'm super excited to have the CEO of Toasty Dips located out of Austin, Texas, Audrey Turner on the podcast. Say hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you, Erin. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. And I love startups and I love talking with people who are just in the beginning of their journey because I think that aligns with where I'm at and the aspirations that I have for myself. So I want you to give the audience background on who you are, where you came from, and was entrepreneurship always something that you wanted to pursue in your life? Great question. So short answer is no. Um, I would say entrepreneurship happened really gradually for me. Um, So I grew up in San Antonio. My parents own a crane rental company. Um, So business was sort of in the family. You know, my parents were kind of dealing with the day-to-day operations of running a business when I was a kid, and I was exposed to that a little bit. Um, But at the time, I was super into like art and doing creative things. So I definitely was not thinking about the business route at all. Um, I went to a sort of non-traditional college. Um, It's called Hampshire College. It's in Western Massachusetts. And this college, there's no grades and there's no majors, um, which is super unique. Um, And at the time, you know, my parents were a little wary of it, but I really wanted to go there. Um, I wanted to kind of pursue sort of this path of, they call it creating your own major. And, you know, there's, it sounds like there's no rules. There are some limitations, (laughs) there's actual classes and things like that, but you can essentially construct like what would be the equivalent of like a master's thesis on whatever super specific topic you want to do. That's so cool. Um, So in some ways I do feel that that was like the start of my entrepreneurial journey in a way, um, just because it was super self-directed. Um, so I went there from there. I went to graduate school actually in media studies and communications at NYU. Um, so that was sort of my path at the time I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be a professor. I want to write about media theory, celebrity theory. That was like my obsession at the time. Um, and then after I graduated from NYU, I was sort of stuck with, okay, I need to get a job now. Um, what can I do with this? niche degree in media that I have because I wasn't pursuing like journalism. I wasn't super specialized in something that I had a clear career path from. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I sort of started um, doing some soul searching around like, how do I want to spend my time? And, you know, what's something that I could make a living from? Um, And I actually taught myself UX design at that point. Um, so I became a digital designer, kind of jack of all trades designer. I was doing branding, I was doing UX, product design, um, ended up doing freelance for about three or four years, um, and then have since and actually still currently work full time as a UX designer um, alongside doing Toasty. So all of the design for Toasty, I did the packaging design, everything, which was like the most fun part of the whole experience. Um, and I'm happy to like go as deep as you want into the design side of things, especially around like your own branding and that kind of thing. Yeah, we got to talk um, after this. This is actually the universe. This is a sign from the universe because <laughs> I, that is the hardest thing for me. Like it, my brain is not creative. It's people like you and I just, I don't see color. I don't see gray in a lot of things. I'm like, it's black or it's white. And I don't understand. I literally had this conversation with my mentor yesterday. And I was like, my, I, I, I don't know social media. I don't get it. How do people do it? Yours looks amazing. Like your Thank social you. media looks so good. So yeah, give the audience 
I think branding is huge right now when people are making millions and millions off of having these. So are there any tips or like advice that you would give for people who are trying to start their own brand or maybe they have a product and they're trying to go through a redesign? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, I think, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it in terms of food just because that's more where my expertise is at this point. Yeah. The packaging is the, your, the quality of your product is always the number one thing. It's got to be a delicious, amazing product, but it has to be enticing visually in order for people to take a chance on it and grab it off the shelves for it to stand out um, and for it to really, you know, convey the quality that is inside. Um, as far as, you know, approaching a rebrand, I think it's really tough for small brands because the best agencies are super expensive. Um, you know, they do amazing work, but I don't, I don't think it's realistic for a lot of smaller brands. And in fact, when I was doing my own rebrand or branding, I guess, originally, you know, I didn't want to do it myself because I was worried that I was too close to it. I, I was too like obsessed with the product and I was going to just, you know, take a million years to do it, which kind of is what happened, but I'm ultimately happy with where it ended up, but I did reach out to a lot of agencies and, you know, it's, really cost prohibitive to work with a large studio as a small brand. So I would say my biggest piece of advice, there's a website called Dribble, um, and it is like the LinkedIn for design. So you can go on there and search like any kind of term. You could search wellness, you could search podcast and designers from all over the world who are like available for freelance projects, um, younger designers, ones that are like not with an agency um, post their work. So you can just kind of scroll through like Pinterest style and see what you like and reach out to people from there. Um, and I've found that's like a way more affordable way to find a quality designer whose style resonates with you. For sure. And was this creative? Were you the child now looking back on kind of where your career has taken you? Were you the child that was always super into like arts and crafts and drawing and all that type of stuff? hundred um, percent. And actually my, my sister, she's two years older than me was the same. So both of us were like super into artsy, anything and everything. Um, and I was actually really obsessed with handwriting. Um, like I would just write things like in different, now I would consider them fonts, but yeah. like I was just obsessed with writing, um, like design writing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, for uh, sure. I think it's always interesting to look you? back. Huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What What about you? Were you like an artsy kid? No, <laughs> that was the only class I got to see in. And it's funny because my dad is was an art teacher. And okay. I think I'm creative in my own way, but sure. definitely not when it comes to arts and crafts. When it comes to color, they're kind of all the same to me. I mean, I definitely, that is one area of my life that I'm not even, not that I'm not going to try, but like it's not worth what you could do in an hour would take me 10. And so it's just not worth it, you know, but I do think I do. Yeah. That's like how I am with anything like financial. I'm like, I'm just, this is not going to click for me. So I'm lucky. So actually my, my husband, he works on toasty with me yeah. and his background is in finance and he just has like that skill set. Um, and then I'm like the creative brain side of things. So it's been a really um, kind of fun compliment to work together on this, um, just because we have these sort of complementary skill sets. That's exactly what I want. I'm single, but that's exactly what I want. And someone I've always wanted to start a business with someone. And for the audience, so you did the freelance design. What prompted Toasty? Where did this idea and passion come from? Totally. So on the personal front. I became kind of exposed to and interested in eating healthy in my early 20s. I would say when I was maybe 22, I started um, really making an effort to understand nutrition. And it was just something I was, frankly, totally clueless about before. You know, I was a college student and then I was in graduate school. Like I wasn't concerned about what I was eating. So I was obsessed a little bit with clean eating. And that became just a huge part of my lifestyle. I saw a ton of benefit from it. Um, and so starting a food business, I moved to Austin in 2017 
And Austin is really like this hub for consumer packaged food brands. It's just, there's a ton of um, activity around new brands here. It's just really a huge part of the community, I would say. Um, and I started kind of having the idea, interest in starting a food business of some kind in 2018. And so I wasn't, I didn't have a product in mind. I didn't have anything in mind. Um, the first idea I came up with that I wanted to pursue was making better for you baking mixes using some kind of like alternative flour. So I tested like pecan flour. Um, at the time, almond flour was already quite popular. So it was like, I wanted to do something adjacent. Tested that for a while, kind of didn't go anywhere. Um, and then after that, um, was able to connect with this amazing, super talented chef who's based in Boulder. And the concept was to create meat alternatives that were actually made from whole ingredients. So this was in 2019 when like Beyond Meat and Impossible mm -hmm. was all the all the rage. And as someone who was really obsessed with, you know, plant-based eating, I was a little bit disappointed in some ways by those products because they were super processed. Yes. Um, so the idea was, you know, why not keep the vegetables whole and, you know, package it up and spice it up to be something that, you know, like makes the taste of meat or evokes the same kind of flavor profile. So we hired the chef. He was fantastic. He made four different recipes for us. Um, one was a cashew chorizo. Ooh. One was a mushroom pulled pork. Um, another one was a calamari that was made from coconut meat. Ooh. And that was so cool and delicious. Um, and we were super excited. We got these recipes. We were able to make them again at home. And then we started getting into, all right, how can we scale this up? How could we produce this, you know, and commercialize it? And that's when it became super clear that these recipes were extremely complex and presented a ton of um, problems that we as first time food people were not aware of. Um, the cost for one, we were using like all these specialty mushrooms that would shrink down once cooked. And it was just, there was a ton of complications that arose. And so at that point we kind of put a pause on everything. Um, and, you know, mind you, it had been two years at this point and sort of paused everything. COVID happened. Um, and at the time, actually my dad was recovering from cancer and so plant-based eating and like trying to find ways to help him bring plant-based foods into his diet was super top of mind for me. Um, and I had kind of extra time on my hands during COVID. So we went back to the drawing board and I was like, you know, a dip is a really kind of one simple operationally, right? It's like just blend everything. And two, it's, it's like low stakes for people to try, right? Like you can just add it to something you're already eating. You could eat it with meat. You could eat it with a salad. You could have it with chips. Like it was super accessible in that regard. And I felt like, okay, my dad would eat this. Yeah. Um, and so I, I decided I wanted to do a dip. And from there, it was just off to the races. Like I was experimenting making dips for hours on end for months um, and finally landed on what is now toasty, um, which is just super creamy, super delicious, and has this like tangy, rich flavor. And kind of the secret sauce, like the aha moment was toasting the almonds before blending them. And so that just like unlocked this super rich, delicious flavor. And that's actually why it's called toasty. So yeah, that's kind of the long-winded way of saying I've wanted to start a food business for for a long time. So, you know, now finally kind of entering the retail space and and being available, it's it's a little surreal just because I've been working behind the scenes on it for so long. Um, but it's exciting. And thank you for sharing that. I think what's important to note there, and this is something that I have to remind myself, is that you had a lot of patience in the prod and the process coming to fruition. It took years for you to get where you were. What pieces of advice would you give for young people now looking back on being patient and trusting and how things unfold when you have an idea in your mind? 
I think that's a great question. It's a huge challenge, honestly, one that I've struggled with. And a lot of friends I have who also have small food brands, we, we've talked about this at length. I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is to just be like obsessed with your own brand and product. I think it's that commitment and that obsession with this idea you have and just this blind faith in willing it into existence um, is powerful. I think it, it can be motivating and it can shape your motivation in the times when it's tough and the times when you get, you know, take steps back in the process or things aren't going according to plan, which is inevitable. Um, but the one thing you can control and you can, you know, keep a tight grip on is your belief in building it. And so, you know, obviously having a product that you think is fantastic makes that easier. But if you just have an idea and you're in the process of trying to make something happen, I think just conviction in, in what your idea is and, and your belief that you're the, you're the person to build it. I love that. I think you're spot on. And I think my favorite thing you said that is blind faith, because I really truly think that is what it is. And I have this thought a lot of times with the podcast is that there's this inner knowing that maybe you can resonate with that this is where you're supposed to be. And this is what you're supposed to do. But you don't know when you don't know how you just know, like, this is what I want to do. And I think it's important for people to realize that there was a lot of iterations that you went through before you came up with Toasty. And so share with the audience, was there maybe a failure that you had looking back on now that catapulted the direction that you inevitably went with Toasty? Yeah, I, I think that the failures, that, and there's been many, honestly, have been a huge part of it. But definitely, I would say kind of the... <laughs> Ignorance is too strong of a word, but lack of knowledge I had about the food space. I think it's really easy when you're not in the weeds in an industry to see what someone else is doing or be exposed to other brands that are successful and have this false notion that it's simple. Um, when in reality, like you said, behind the scenes, they've every successful founder or you know person who's doing a podcast or anything that is successful has gone through a ton of stuff to get there. You know, a lot of failures, a lot of successes, obviously. But um, I would say just being patient. What you said before, I think, is a great way to describe it. It's like um, having the ability to just pause and, and celebrate small wins that you have. I think is also super important in the journey of trying to build something. I'm sure. And I hope you experience that too. Like just being excited for yourself when you have like a great episode with a guest or you have a guest you're super excited to chat with um, celebrating stuff along the way. It doesn't have to be your end goal to celebrate it. You know? Yeah. I think the hardest part for me is with patience is that I'm, I get so passionate about something. And when I believe in something so much, I, I, patience is not my virtue. I'll be the first one to call that out. I'm not the most patient person. And so I think for me, it's like, I have that blind faith and I do celebrate the small moments, but I'm always kind of looking towards that next thing. Like what's the next roadblock or for you? Like what's the next big store? Can I get into whole foods? Can I do this? And so I think when it's just like being a visionary, like you're just always looking forward. You're trying to like, where can I take this business or this thing next? And so I do, it's something that I write in my journal a lot about is like, okay, be appreciative for where you're at. A year ago, you weren't here. So don't get yourself in a, in a tussle, but I definitely, uh, definitely need to work on that. That's a piece of feedback that I need to really, you know, take. Um, but I also liked how you, this is something that I've always wanted in a partner. I've shared this openly that you and your husband do this together. I want you to share with the audience how that experience has been and why you two working together is so powerful. Cause I think that is another really important point for people to take note of listening to this. Absolutely. So it's been not without challenges, of course. I think the way we've framed it that has helped us the most is to think about our business relationship separate from the marriage. And that's been just crucial for us. 
Um, and it's hard to separate sometimes because, you know, we'll be on a walk with the dogs and we're talking about toasty, um, or we're talking about like plans we have. So, you know, things kind of blend together. Um, but I would say having kind of a strong foundation communicating in our marriage has been super helpful, you know, obviously as business partners, um, and working on it together. The second piece that's made it work for us is, like I mentioned before, we have like totally opposite skill sets. Um, so he's super like, I think it's right brained, like being like math focused or like numbers. And then I'm the opposite. I'm like way more creative, like branding side of things. Um, so being able to kind of have that balance and and we both sort of get to be experts at certain things of the business. And so that's been really, I think, fun. It's like an opportunity for us to learn from each other and have kind of a, a free flowing type of, of balance with, and we can be super honest with each other too, in some ways, I think that's probably, I would imagine a challenge if you're, you know, co-founding with either a, former classmate or like a friend, I think sometimes that super, sometimes harsh honesty can be difficult yeah. um, to, to share or to receive. And of course it is in a marriage as well, but I think having that backdrop has helped us for sure. <laughs> Any type of feedback I think is hard, especially when it, you're receiving it from someone that's close to you and you have a different you know, relationship versus someone that's just strictly business. Cause I think navigating that personal boundary, I guess what you would say would be challenging. 100%. Yeah. So it's just uh, definitely a level of understanding, but I think what I wanted, obviously you just hit on it, but I think you had someone that was opposite of you. And I think that's super, super important to have someone that compliments you because you hear a lot of entrepreneurs hire that out. Like, Hey, I'm really creative. And even for me, like I had to hire out my social media because I just wasn't good at it and it just wasn't effective. And so I think it's important for people to understand like, Hey, this is what I'm really good at. This isn't what I got. This isn't what I'm good at. And in your situation, they were living in the same house as you. So you didn't even have to, you know, go and hire out <laughs> that, that worked out for you. But as your business has started to grow and really pick up pace over the last two years, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had as you're trying to scale and really get this small business off the ground? Yeah. So the, the biggest challenge, and I think this is true for a lot of food brands is the operation side. So it's one thing to be able to make an amazing food product at home in your kitchen. And, you know, that's like where this started out. And now I, I work at a commercial kitchen, but it's still me, you know, making the dips myself. Um, scaling up production wise is it presents a ton of challenges, um, not only around ensuring the quality is what you want it to be, that it's consistent. Um, there's a ton of regulations as there should be around food, but yeah. it's it can be tough to navigate some of those. Um, for me specifically, the biggest challenge has been that the dip is refrigerated. So ensuring that we can distribute it to retailers, have it at the farmer's market, um, and make sure it maintains the right temperature for food safety is massively challenging. Um, and especially when it's just a small team kind of trying to peddle these dips ourselves um, before we're at scale enough where we can, you know, hire out and work with a manufacturer to produce it for us. So some of those like operational complexities around just making the product and, and distributing it, um, that has hands down been the biggest challenge. And I think there's sort of some like waterfall effects of that. So for example, that has handicapped the marketing efforts to some extent because I don't want to direct or like gain a lot of traffic when I have no stores to send people to. So it's a little bit of a domino effect of like, I'm ready to scale up. I wish I could be nationwide tomorrow, but you know, functionally that would not be possible at this point. So just having, again, that patience to kind of grind through and you know, do the tough work, which is now, you know, still making the dips myself. Um, it's tough. 
hundred percent difficult. Would you ever go on Shark Tank? <laughs> I've thought about it. I think it would be cool. Um, I saw this one brand, Oat House. Yeah. Um, it's like a, yeah, granola butter, and I watched their pitch, and I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of like a food brand on there. Um, but yeah, I think that would be super cool. Yeah, and w- whether you ended up on the show or not, I think it's a good experience of like pitching yourself. I'm not familiar with the food industry. Obviously, I'm not in it. Is there funding that you're going out for or how does that work on like a tactical level from obviously if you're having like an influx of growth of clients, that's always good. But we also hear and you hear this a lot of times people like fast growth is is way worse because it's like sometimes that can be the detriment of your business. So what's kind of next for you if there is like a next step? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And so this is something my husband, thankfully, kind of has a background and expertise in. So he was an investment banker for about a decade, like before I knew him. So his background is in kind of that whole space. Um, Right now, sort of our focus is, can we get purchase orders? Can we get, you know, one of the larger retailers to carry us? And, And if that's the case, then I think that's when we would consider you know, do we want to raise money for this? Because we'd need to um, be able to build that infrastructure to actually support the orders. But at this point, it's it's manageable enough for me to, you know, it's just specialty retailers in Austin. So it's like, I've got my little weekly schedule and routine that I do. Um, and some of the other founders, uh, I have like a group of girlfriends in Austin who all have like CPG brands. And so, so cool. some of us are yeah, it's really, it's been awesome to like have them. We meet up, you know, a couple of times a week and just like talk about our business or like connect each other with relevant people and things like that. Um, but two of us are at the same kitchen. So we'll be there like making our stuff at the same time and all that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, right now we're just trying to grow definitely in Austin, of course. And, you know, being nationwide is certainly a goal. It's definitely like where we'd like to head. I would say right now, um, we're not at a stage where like raising money is what we want to do. I think eventually, you know, and as if, if things grow and continue, and especially in some conversations like with larger retailers, um, that would definitely be something we'd look into. Yeah. It's so interesting. I had the CEO of Sweet Lawrence. I don't know if you're familiar with that cookie oh, yeah, brand. Yeah. yeah. So I had her on the podcast and it's so interesting just to hear how, and her story is very similar to yours and the fact that she actually had cancer and kind of, I mean, your dad in this situation, but yeah. it's so crazy to hear how these ideas start and then where they end up. And now hers is you know, gone and hopefully the same for you. So it is super cool just to see how things like progress in the stages. What is one or two things that you've learned about yourself through this journey, both personally and professionally? Great, great question. Um, I would say professionally, I think, you know, I had been a designer, like I mentioned for, for a long while prior to this, but I had never done packaging design. Um, And so I would say the biggest thing I learned for myself is like, I can be a more diverse designer. Like I can, you know, tackle a package design and learn about all of the particulars and the regulations around spacing. And there's so much to print and packaging design that I had no idea about. Um, And I was really proud of myself for like grinding through that and, and making it work. And you know, honestly, like I love when people compliment Toasty in any regard, but when people mention the packaging, that's like the best thing for me to hear just because I definitely lost a lot of sleep over like, how am I going to make this work? Am I the right person to do this? Can I do this? Um, so just like proving to myself that that I could and, and being genuinely happy with the results. Um, that's definitely been the biggest like professional kind of growth for me. Um personally, probably in a similar vein, you know, I, I had been doing freelance and I like had kind of the autonomy where I was like running the show in a sense, you know, doing design freelance, but just having like the confidence to see myself as like a CEO, I think it's, it, it feels weird to say, but I've gotten so much more comfortable with it now. And it's true. Like, 
that's something that I think I've had a little bit of weird, maybe imposter syndrome feelings about. Um, but it's a, it's a huge value for me. Like when I see my friends who have their businesses, like I feel so strongly that they're doing such an incredible job and that they're the right people to do this and that, you know, their women owned brands are incredible. Um, so just really leaning into that and like seeing myself kind of having the same like grace of how I view myself as how I view my female friends who are doing cool stuff. Um, so kind of the internal work, I guess, of just building confidence and, and seeing, seeing myself as someone who is a business person <laughs> when I never thought of myself that way prior. Yeah. And I'm love that you have a group of people around you who are all going after the same thing. That's something that I've been journaling and just meditating a lot on because I truly think that you are the people you surround yourself with. And I think when you're surrounded by like-minded people who are truly there to support you and there's no competition that you can kind of feel in the energy, you definitely start to rise and you rise together. How did you find that network of people? I mean, this is a very selfish question, but maybe there's people out there who have a dream and they're like, it's hard for me to find people who think like me. Cause I definitely have felt that way time and time again. hundred percent. So it was a little bit of like lucky fate in some sense. So in the CPG kind of niche CPG community that we're all kind of a part of, there's this blog and, um, it's like a Slack thread Ooh. called the snack shot. And it's founded by this woman named Andrea. She is amazing. She is like trend spotter for everything, food and beverage. Like she will find super obscure brands and post about them and share about them. So long story short, all of us kind of were in this like realm of the snack shot. And then she ended up doing an event here in Austin that was at the Ranch Rider headquarters. Okay. And it was like this happy hour type of thing. And so all of us were there and we met and connected and just kind of instantly clicked. And it was funny, one of the girls, I had known her, we used to work at Outdoor Voices together. Oh my gosh, um, I love that brand. Yeah, yeah. So that was like the first job I had in Austin. Um, so we both worked there, but we weren't super close at the time. And I knew she had a food brand, but I hadn't kept up with her. And so I see her at this event and I was like, oh my gosh, like, Hey, and we just like instantly clicked and became super close. So yeah, I would say the biggest help in terms of like finding people who are like-minded or pursuing something similar, have similar goals is to just go to every event you can possibly find that might be related to some concept that you're interested in meeting people with a shared interest. Um, like basically every Austin food event, I just am like, I'm going, even if I only go for 30 minutes, like you never know who you're going to meet. And it's just a great way to like get some brand awareness out there, have people in the community kind of aware of what you're up to. Um, and yeah, kind of law of attraction, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Are you a big, like, mindful meditation yoga person? You know what? I'm actually not. You're not? Um, but okay. I'm, no, I'm not. Um, I would say, so I don't do yoga or anything, but I do weightlifting. Okay. Um, yeah. which, like, in my own way, it feels a little bit meditative. I think there's, like, it's yeah. my time where I go and I'm just locked in. And I think it's, there's like a lot of life lessons you learn from doing something like that. It's like you're purposefully putting yourself in an uncomfortable position to get stronger. Um, and I think that's just like an kind of a mantra that sort of I've tried to translate into the toasty side of things as well. Yeah, I'm going to have you take this up for, I 1000% I agree. I'm a psycho workout person. I work out every single okay. day. I am... <laughs> I, I teach yoga on the side, huge into meditation. Oh, I truly believe that if it was not for, I would not be who I am today without fitness, but I definitely would not have the mindset if it wasn't for all of the yoga and stillness. Since mm -hmm. we're on the topic, how has that helped you mentally 
when you're trying to start a business and when you're going through the difficulties of becoming a first-time entrepreneur or being a first-time entrepreneur rather? Yeah, I, I think being comfortable in a position of struggle or like not being good at something, being okay with that feeling. And that happens a lot, obviously running a business. It's like there's every day it's some new challenge that I've never experienced or done before. And that, so therefore I'm not good at it yet. Um, And with weightlifting or working out in general, it's similar, right? Like you could go to a berries class for the first time and it's so challenging and I've done that and it's really hard. And then you go back the second time and it's a little bit easier. Um, And then by your fourth or fifth class, you're like, okay, I know the drill. And now then it's like up to you to like push yourself and kind of take the onus upon yourself to make it a challenge and kind of get what you want out of it. So I would say just that kind of mental model of being comfortable with a challenge and rising to the occasion. And then also just being able to kind of self-regulate afterwards, like, all right, I know that I can do this. I've developed some like confidence. I've seen there's proof that it can be done by me. Um, And just kind of taking that into other, other new challenges, whatever they might be. Very important. Confidence is something that I think by showing up for yourself and putting yourself in hard situations. And I know Ed Milet has a famous saying, but for me, it's just always been doing the hard things. And when you do hard things, you're proving to yourself that you can. And I think confidence just comes from that or saying no or whatever it is in your life. I think that's a huge learning point. I think it comes with age in a sense. Uh, I think some of it, you know, is your personality, but I think it's something super important. And if there's someone that's coming out of college or is in their mid twenties and they're struggling with, I'm unhappy in where I'm at, but I have this thing inside of me and I want to go chase a dream or I want to find something that's outside of the status quo. What two, three, four pieces of advice would you give for them? Whether it's piece of advice for hope or really finding that passion, whatever you would tell your 24, 25 year old self. I think the the first thing that came to mind when you asked that is keeping promises you make to yourself. And that's something like over time I have learned to do. And it's like a sacred type of thing for me now where it's like, all right, today, here's my, even something as simple as this, like, here's my to-do list today. And I want to get these three things done and I'm not going to go to sleep or I'm not going to rest until, you know, I've done that and just not making it optional. It's just taking away the kind of indecisiveness that can sometimes I think plague. And at least for me, you know, makes me like ineffective at whatever goal I'm trying to achieve. So just the the same way you would, you wouldn't like ditch your friend last minute if you had a plan to go to lunch, like holding yourself in the same regard and like the plans you make for yourself um, as not optional. And that's been like a huge unlock for me personally, because I think there have been a lot of times, especially since, you know, like I mentioned, I went to such a non-traditional school. Like there wasn't a lot of consequence for me around getting things done in a traditional sense. So I definitely, in my early 20s, had picked up some kind of bad habits around things like that, where I would be quick to kind of put things off to the next day. And I wasn't like biased towards action and running a business that's just essential. Like you have to just, you have to act, you have, you got to get stuff done. You've got to move the pieces. And if you don't, no one is going to, and then you're not going to reach this end goal that you have. Um, so yeah, those two things I would say, keeping promises to yourself and bias towards action. Yeah. Do, do, do. Gotta. Yes. My boss told me that yesterday. She's like, I feel like you just like to get things done. I'm like, yeah, just cross it off the list. You know what I mean? When you have a to-do list, (laughs) (laughs) just gotta get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like that. So that's how my husband is like, just by nature, he's super like, if anything's on the to-do list, like, let's just get to it. Let's get it off the list. Let's go. Like, it's not a mental struggle for him at all. 
So that's been another amazing kind of perk of the relationship where it's like I've adopted some of those behaviors just seeing him do it. It's like, oh, the lawn needs to get mowed. Okay, I'm going to just go do it. I'm thinking about it right now. I've got 30 minutes. Like, I'll just do it. Um, So that's been another kind of fun perk of the relationship. Have you ever taken the Enneagram test? Either one of you? I have. And I'm an eight. Oh, same. Yep. Oh, you are? Okay. (laughs) Is your husband an eight though? Uh, I don't know what he is. I need to see. I, do you think he would be based on what I've told you? Yeah, I was going to say you sound maybe. I don't know what you would be. I'm an eight, but they always say like eight. Every entrepreneur I've ever met is an eight or a three, but oh, nine really? times out of 10, they're an eight. I think it's just like in our DNA to just like get stuff done. <laughs> but when you're listing off his qualities, I'm like, that sounds like an eight. But you're more creative. So maybe, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's more like work, not personality like a zodiac sign you know yeah so what is the enneagram exactly because I've, I've taken the quiz and i have a friend who's like she's always sending me the memes of and that's why i know i'm an eight because i had taken it once and then every time she sends me these memes she's like audrey like this is you the eight one um <laughs> but uh, what is how does it work like i actually don't really know that much do you know your zodiac it. sign aries Okay. Makes sense. I'm a fire sign too. Wow. We have so much in common. We'd be friends. And I also really <laughs> want to move to Austin. So if I move to Austin You're at the sure. end of this year, I'm going to hit you up. Um, 100%. but I think the, the Enneagram and we, I work at a, uh, place now where we do coaching, like perfect, like someone like you, that's trying to scale a business and you're like, I just need someone to come in here and like, help me. It is kind of personal and professional, but more focused on the business. Anyways, but we take the Enneagram Enneagram test and it's like a personality test of like how you operate. So I'm sure some of the things of eight are like, we like control. We like to get things done. I don't like to be really told no. Like I just don't really handle that very well. Um, Assertive and like directive. I don't know if you're this way, but like when I give feedback and when I receive feedback, I don't want a sugar coat. I don't want a bun on either side. Like just hand it to me straight. I don't want, I don't care about the rest of it. I don't know if you're laughing. You're like, yeah, this is me too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's more like how you operate at work, um, is what I think it is. You know, I'm sure there's like, yeah, probably a little bit personal too. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I think I've changed. Like, so I, I mentioned to you before we started recording, but I just turned 30 and I definitely had this like phase maybe a month or two prior of just like really reflecting on who I've become and like the changes that I've made and things like that and I think a lot of the personality traits that I think of as my personality now are like learned they aren't things that I was when I was 20 or 22 um so I wonder I think just putting myself in different positions, like, you know, at the time I was like, okay, I'm at this non-traditional school. Okay. I'm going to just go down this academic path and that's going to be my life. And I didn't really, I think, honestly look at like, what do I really want? What am I, am I actually enjoying this work that I'm doing? Is this how I want to spend my time? And forcing myself to do that, I think illuminated a lot of things about, you know, what do I really want? What do I actually enjoy? Why was I pursuing this? Um, So just kind of the growth that naturally happens, I think, with making career changes. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of times it's traditional to go down one path where it's like you study marketing in college and then you get a marketing job and then you just like climb the ladder doing marketing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think a lot of people can be super happy with that path. for me personally, I think like having kind of a lot of different hats career-wise has helped me grow like on a personal level in a way that I'm I'm happy with. Absolutely. You're challenging yourself in different ways. And I think one of my, someone that listens to this podcast, it's my dad's really good friend. He's like, you always refer to everything as a journey, but it really is because I have yet to have one person on the podcast that hasn't said when I've looked back, it all makes sense. And you just alluded to that by all the different hats that you were wearing led you to the CEO role because you have to wear many hats. You're not just a marketing person. You're not just a salesperson. You're not just an operations person. Like you're literally doing five people's jobs more. And so it definitely all makes sense in in the end. 100%. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too cuz it's like 
it's come full circle for me in, in some ways. Like I mentioned as a kid, I was like always the one in art class and like drawing stuff and doing hand lettering. And then it's like, oh, I became a designer. And then obviously doing the design and, and just kind of the visual everything for Toasty, like the website and all of our social and like marketing assets, like designing all of that stuff has been massively helpful. And I know like my fellow CBG friends who have brands, like it's so expensive to pay for a designer to like do stuff for you. Um, so I think that's probably a skill that it's such like a blessing to have to me now. And obviously at the time, like when I was pursuing it, I love, I do love design just for in and of itself, not just as a resource for Toasty, but like, it's been, that feels kind of serendipitous in some ways, like that I took that path and then it's led me here and it's been such a value add for Toasty. It's so good to hear because I think I always struggle at different phases. And I was telling Spider this yesterday, like every phase in your journey you struggle with. And I haven't had that. I think I have in some sense, like my parents, my whole life were like, you need to be a sports broadcaster. So I think this podcast was like an enlightenment that like, this is where I'm supposed to be. But I still feel like I'm in the phase where I have such big dreams for that. I haven't had that like moment kind of like that you're alluding to of like, okay, it all makes sense. I do think some things make sense, but I'm 25. So I'm like, I still have a little bit of time to like figure it all out, but it's so, it's so good to hear that. And I'm so happy that this is what you're doing now. So I want you to pimp yourself out. So where can people find you? Where can they find these toasty dips? I have me and all my friends are health freaks. So we're definitely going to purchase this. So pimp yourself out. Awesome. So yeah, it's like the, the toasty elevator pitch. So, um, and I don't think I went into all the details at the beginning, but toasty, it's a line of super creamy, tangy, um, plant-based dips that are made from toasted almonds. Um, it's super simple ingredients. So the almonds, water, lemon, and lime juice, and then each flavor has its own unique spice and seasoning blend. So it's super like clean label, um, something that pairs well with a lot of different foods, healthy or not so healthy, um, (laughs) vegan, paleo, keto, all free of all the bad stuff. Um, the only thing is obviously it has tree nuts, but otherwise it's free of all of the other top eight allergens. Um, where can you get toasty? So right now we're available in the Austin area at all of the local boutique, uh, retailers. Um, we will be at a specialty grocery store chain. It's called Foxtrot Market. I know there's one in Dallas. Yeah. Um, yeah, they also have locations in Chicago um, and I think DC. Um, but we will be at all of those starting in June. So that's like a super exciting development for us because that's like, you know, more distribution outside of Texas. So we're super excited for that. Um, and hopefully we'll have some news soon around some of the bigger retailers. So we've been in touch with a few and sending out samples to some. So, um, fingers crossed it will be available. The last question that I had for you, and I know this is a loaded question and this is everyone's favorite question, but where do you see your brand in five years? Where would you like to be in five years? If you could put it into the universe. I I love that question. I would say, you know, kind of dream store for me, of course, would be Whole Foods yeah. just because I think it's it's where I love shopping. It's like the natural kind of healthy food uh, kind of retailer that I go to. Also love that it was started in Austin. So that just feels like it would kind of come full circle. Um, so definitely to be nationwide um, would be a huge goal. Um, another goal of Toasty, I would love to go the food service route. So that's okay. something that like beyond and impossible, you know, having their foods at Taco Bell and McDonald's, like the something like that, we're really bringing like plant-based food, you know, to the masses. That would be like an ultimate dream for me to do something um, where it's really widely accessible. And it's something that um, becomes more of a norm and more of like a, a lifestyle for people. I think that would be super rewarding for me to see Toasty like, adopted um in that way i love healthy food so i love that idea and i love that vision i think i think now we're in the day and age where things are a lot more accessible 
Uh, I think some people are always like, well, it's more expensive. When when you really think about it, I don't think you can put a price tag on your health. Uh, I think when you save money up front, you're saving yourself in the long run. That's just always been my philosophy. So I, I love totally that. Like a good like toasty dips if you're out at like a place with hummus and pita or I don't know, anywhere. Chips and dip. Yeah, like, exactly. I- <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it goes with anything. I think honestly, another cool thing would be like, kids schools like a lunch item or like a snack item um another one would be like stadiums like the astrodome or whatever you know some kind of like healthy alternative that's still super flavorful and delicious at you know a concert or something like that where it just sort of gives people a chance to try it and puts a, a healthy option that doesn't compromise on taste um on the menu that would be like an amazing, totally a dream goal for Toasty. Yeah, that would be so cool. I'm excited for you. There's a lot of good things in store. I feel like you have really good energy and stuff like this always comes to fruition and it's always going to be way bigger than you ever thought. Lauren Brill said the same thing about hers. I mean, she's in 17,000 stores nationwide. Like you're going to be the same. So thank you so oh, much for being you. on the podcast. And my final question to you is, what are you grateful for today, Audrey? Today, oh, I actually have two answers. Perfect. The first answer is my dog that just barked. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful for him every day. I think it's just having a dog has changed my life completely. Um, I got him when I was 23, like fresh out of college. Like I had never had a dog in my life before. Um, literally went and picked him up from the shelter, brought him home, and it was just chaos, but in the best way. Um, he's actually the reason I met my husband. We, we met at a dog park. So he had a dog. Yeah. So truly changed my life. Um, and I'm so grateful for him. And that's one of the things like every, when I take him out in the morning, like we'll go on a hike or something. I try to just be there with him. Like I don't get on my phone. I don't think about business. I'm like, he is just having fun. He's sniffing, he's exploring and just like leaning into like, staring at him and being happy that he is alive and like that he's enjoying himself. Um, that's like a little kind of mindful practice that I try to do. Um, and the second would be grateful to be on this podcast. This was such a cool experience and so nice to chat with you. I feel like we have a lot of things in common. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to go listen to your other episodes and (laughs) yeah, just keep in touch. Would love to connect again, especially if I'll be in Dallas, like for, for toasty stuff. So yeah, for sure. And I am grateful for, We'll say friends today. I have a month full of a lot of uh, social things that usually I'm a little bit more on the introverted side. I'm an extrovert. Obviously, I'm loud, but uh, I definitely recharge uh, on my own. I can't talk there. Um, But thank you so much for being on. And yes, we'll definitely stay in touch.